Welcome to the ACO Show. Two weeks ago, a team from Allidade visited Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., along with a group of primary care physicians. The goal was to meet with elected officials and healthcare regulators to talk about some changes that should be made to strengthen the ACO program and improve our healthcare system. For this episode of the podcast, Travis Broom, Allidade's Vice President of Policy, and Farzad Mostashari, CEO of Allidade, speak with two of those physicians to hear about how it went and what they learned about how policy changes happen. Welcome to the ACO show today. We're here with two Allidade physicians, um, Dr. Carl Schwey from Pennsylvania and Dr. Richard Card from Virginia, who just came off a big day um, yesterday up on Capitol Hill and in the heart of CMS leadership, the Humphrey Building. If you haven't guessed, I'm neither Josh nor Joe. I'm Travis Broom. I'm our Vice President of Policy, guest hosting today, and I'm joined by our CEO, Dr. Farzad Mustashari, for our other guest host. Hello. Great. And then basically today we're going to take you through kind of inside policy, and uh, Farzad's going to lead us through to kind of a discussion of how the interaction of meeting with people on Capitol Hill and meeting in the Humphrey Building and talking to them and communicating them and putting faces on us really leads to the policy formations that end up affecting pretty much every physician in America every day. So with that, I'll turn it over to Farzad to start talking about how policy gets made. Thanks, Travis. One of the great things about Allidate that has helped us be very effective on uh, influencing and informing policy has been our ability to draw on the real-world experiences of practices who are really doing value-based care throughout uh, 23 states in very real settings. We were very uh, glad to be joined yesterday by uh, five such uh, physicians, and we have two with us today. Um, Dr. Schwab and Dr. Card, if you could just briefly say a little bit about uh, the context within within which you practice. So I'm Carl Schwab. I practice in Havertown, Pennsylvania, part of a large multi-specialty practice um, that is based in Phoenixville called PMA Medical Specialists. Um, our division is solely primary care. We have nine practicing physicians and three um, uh, nurse practitioners. Uh, we've been doing value-based care since the mid-90s, but have really accelerated uh, what we're doing in the past four years with our affiliation with Allidate. Hi, this is Richard Card. I'm in uh, Pulaski, Virginia, which is roughly about one hour south of Roanoke, Virginia. I have a small primary care pra- practice consisting of one physician, myself. I have one physician assistant and one part-time nurse practitioner. Um, we're very kind of small community, so we're mostly a Medicare-based area. Um, we have been in existence for about 18 months, and kind of right off the bat, I kind of saw the value of value-based care, and in order to succeed in that kind of market environment, you had to be able to focus on primary prevention, preventing the hospitalization, preventing the ER visits, keeping the patients healthy. Um, and so I was able to connect with Allidate, and we've been going from there, and we've been going strong. 
Have either of you ever been on Capitol Hill? I have not. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so maybe maybe just some first impressions about how how the day went. Um, really, the realization that um, everything gets done in these little snippets, and you get the opportunity for half an hour at the most to make an impression on someone who's you know working for your con- congressional leaders was it was qu- quite illuminating. I think, you know, you sometimes see on TV, C-SPAN, you know, you see the big rooms, the senators or the congressmen there talking, arguing with each other. But the reality is most decisions are made outside of that room. Mm-hmm. That, Like uh, Dr. Schwabe said, you get 10 minutes, five minutes in a hallway maybe. And that's where you're planting your ideas. And that's where you're getting them to grow with your various representatives, their staff members that will eventually make change. And although we all like it to be a snap of the fingers and boom, it's done, it's slow. It's like a plant growing. And sometimes that plant takes a few years before you get your first crop. And so you just gotta take your time and it's just understanding and having the patience to work that system That's right. to get what you want. That's right. Uh, and then we also met, as Travis said, with CMS, we met with the officials who are in charge of the entire Medicare Shared Savings Program. In fact, the person they report to who is the deputy uh, for the Center of Medicare. Um, I don't know, what's $500 billion a year or something that that, uh, that, that office puts out. Uh, and the senior advisor to, to the administrator. Um, that was somewhat different, right? That that meeting, the the kind of conversations uh, were kind of different. Uh, any any kind of things that you picked up on on that meeting, and then we'll go into detail into uh, unpacking some of, some of that, like how policy happens here. Yeah, I thought um, he was qu- quite receptive, and um, you know he pushed back on some things as we went through the, the half hour, but um, he seemed to be you know on board with encouraging what we were doing and hoping further partnership would come down the road. Yeah, I think, you know, when you meet these people face to face, you realize, you know, they're not our enemy. Um, They really want to work with us. I think they are more worried about making a mistake that has a bad outcome than we give them probably credit for. And that's why they ask all these questions. And that's why sometimes they are so slow to make change because they are worried what are the negative consequences. You know, always trying to do do no harm. That is their goal is to do no harm. And they have a big job. And although we sometimes see it as the physicians on an individual basis, one patient at a time, they have to do all the patients all the time, every day. And it's a little daunting. And you kind of see that in their eyes. that They understand how daunting of a task that really is. Yeah, and, and you know, look, to, to be fair, like they're seeing people all day long who are giving them, you know, they, stuff they want, right? And, and oftentimes contradictory ways. So uh, as you said, being in that policymaker regulator position, you really have to think about what's best for the greatest number of people. Um, uh, and you're right, one of the biggest concerns and I've, I've been in their shoes yeah, is that what you worry about is losing touch with what's actually happening in, in the field. And I think that's one of the reasons why they were so receptive to hearing from you more than from me and Travis. They hear from us all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, was, it was very interesting. I, I love the snippet analogy you gave of you know, we were sitting through how the little things pile up. You know, we literally had a meeting with 
uh, one person in the hallway because there was 10 of us and we were running around in the hallway and if you kind of looked out on the outside it's like what's really going what what are you going to get out of 20 minutes standing in a hallway talking to one person but it created that snippet it created that idea in this one person's head and this one particular person is the director of a caucus so that is an idea that is now in her head it's an idea that it she can repeat at her caucus meeting which probably won't be in a hallway because it includes 42 congressmen um so it really is about you know i love the snippet analogy of basically putting ideas everywhere and meeting people where they are um you know Sometimes you would walk into a Hill office and you're, you're explaining what an ACO was. And now there's one more person who knows what an ACO is. And more than knows what an ACO is, um, intellectually, they understand now the difference between physician-led mm-hmm. and institutional ACOs, right? Because when they think ACO, and there's a lot of people, you know, even who've been in health policy for a while, who think ACO means big hospital system. And now the mental image they have of ACO, when they see a bill, when they see a proposal, when they go talk to someone and they hear ACO, the mental image they have is of you. It's not of, you know, a, you know, corporation uh, that, uh, that has a, you know, ton of lobbyists. We, uh, let's get specific here. Um, uh, we have had, I think, remarkable success at helping to inform and improve the way the Medicare Shared Savings Program um, has been operating and, and making sure that it reaches towards its full potential. The program when it started was nothing like what it is today. And there are many obvious flaws in its sustainability and its applicability for small practices uh, that have been uh, improved over time. And, and I'm proud to say that we played a role in that. And I want to um, maybe use the example of an issue that we did not succeed in, which was at the top of our policy agenda uh, yesterday uh, as a way to, to delve into uh, how um, how this, this change happens. Um, many of the, the improvements to the ACO program, whether it's in terms of creating a downside risk uh, that is um, proportional to the amount of resources that a, a practice has, right? Um, we called that the Travis Track. <laughs> it was first laid out in the Center uh, for Medicare Innovations, Track 1 Plus, where the downside risk wasn't bankrupting for small practices like yours. Um, that then ended up becoming part of the permanent program and the Pathways to Success Basic CDE. Right? That change took four years. We worked on that for four years. And so when, right, when you guys saw planting the seeds, planting the seeds, nurturing it, letting it grow, um, that's, that was the, you know, when we first started talking and writing about it, it, it did not seem like it would have much hope of, of success. And yet, and yet there it is. Another one of our policy successes was actually getting uh, the annual benchmark for ACOs uh, to not reflect national trends, uh, but to reflect local trends. And this, this um, shifting to a regional trend 
was hugely important because, yes, on average, <laughs> the national trend encompasses everyone. But if you're a physician-led ACO in Kansas, whose costs have been going up in Kansas for Part B drugs by 40%, then you want to be compared to what's happening in Kansas, not what's, compared, what's happening across the entire country. Uh, of course, policy has uh, uh, potentially unintended consequences. So uh, how you do that implementation of the regional trend uh, can have big impact. And one of the ways in which uh, the regional trending was incorporated has created a rural glitch. Uh, Dr. Card, do you want to you wanna try to explain what the rural glitch is? Sure. So the rural glitch comes into play when in rural areas, a practice who is part of the ACO has an, and we won't say unreasonably large, but a large portion of the patient population. And therefore, if that practice is doing very well, driving down costs, they are driving down the entire cost of that region and that market. And therefore, when they read update your benchmarks every year, you're basically competing against yourself in a way that's almost unfair compared to places in more populous regions that will have a far less impact on that individual practice. And so we're trying to get it so that as they practice part of the ACO, when they do those trends, they will take out the ACO's patients and just compare it to those people who are not participating. Because we want to see how are those patients who are being treated by those hospital systems. You know, they should be trying to do the same thing we're doing whether they're part of an ACO or not. And if we can drive down those costs better, they should be mimicking us. So there should be no adverse advantage that we are gaining. We should be showing them the way to go. And they can either choose to or not. And if they don't, we should get credit for it. And I think that's an excellent example of, you know, we're talking about inside policy. And far as I've mentioned some of the successes we've had, you have to have a genuineness about what you're asking for. So our genuineness um, in our ACO work is, you know, we believe that the combination of excellence in primary care and excellence in population health is going to save Medicare money, it's going to save the healthcare system money, it's going to reduce costs for patients. And we want that work to shine through in the best way possible. And by having that genuine foundation of, we're not trying to say like, oh, you should just give us 20% more money. What we're trying to say is you should let the work we are doing, the value we are creating, shine through in the best way possible. And one of the reasons we're really focused on the rural grudge, like you were talking about rural areas, is that if I have an ACO in DC who is only 2% of their market and they reduce cost 5% through excellence in primary care and population health, they get to keep nearly all of it, 98% uh, of it um, under current policies. If I'm in your ACO out in Pulaski, you know, and I, that same number of patients is 20% of the market, well, you only get to keep 80% of that. 5% um, success, even though the real work, the real performance, the real value creation was 5% in both places. So that's really what we've been working on is not so much that there's anything magic about 5% or 4% or 3%, who cares? As long as people who perform the same get paid the same. So that was, so fixing the rural glitch is is now at the top of, of Allidade's policy agenda. And we're, obviously we, we um, 
argued for it during the comment period, which is how it should happen, right? They put out a proposed rule, we wrote comments, they considered those comments, they really did, they wrote back, uh, and they addressed every single uh, comment that uh, folks had, including us, about this, and they declined to do it when they put out the final rule. Um, and let me let me point to some of the, the things that maybe you saw in, in the room uh, that that we did. Do you remember what the first thing was that uh, Sean Cavanaugh, who was who was with us, who formerly ran the Center for Medicare, is now the Chief Administrative Officer for Alliday. Do you remember what the first thing he did when he, when when we talked to uh, CMS was? Thank them for their work. Yes, <laughs> and that's and that's something that people forget that there's human beings on the other end of this who've been working their tails off trying to do the right thing. And every day they get 98 things right, right? And the two that people are mad about, right? They come in and they yell at them for the two things. People don't thank the civil servants who are, who are really trying to do the best. And that's, I think, one of the most important things to have in any, in any, any kind of, whether you're a physician, uh, whether you're an administrator, whatever you're trying to do, is you gotta be able to put yourself in the other person's shoes. And in this case, thank them, praise them for the things they did right, for the things they got right. The, the second thing was, just as, as you said, these are complicated issues that have real world um, impacts, right? So if, if you're a, a, a rural ACO and you're losing 20% of the savings uh, that you've deserved, that you've created, um, this is a it's a big deal and it's it's tens of millions of dollars uh that that people aren't aren't getting and in some cases they should be paying to the government if they're in two-sided risk and and they're pulling down the the uh, the region's performance uh there's a there's a quid pro quo there but we got to be able to put it in terms of principles uh, it can't be, this will help me. Travis already said this, right? Like, this will help me, help me, right? It's got to be putting it in terms of what are the principles that they're after and what are the, the things that we can, with complete honesty, say, this is better for America. If you do this change, it will have, it's more fair, it'll keep people in the program, it'll reward the people who should be there, and it won't disadvantage rural communities and rural health. And the state of rural health is a real, right now, burning issue in Washington. Uh, so uh, I think, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's a great example. Um, what, did, what was their response when, when we said, here's, you know, we want you to fix the rural glitch? I think they know that the issue's been brought up several times. They mentioned that. They try going after us with some of their concerns that have been brought up, it sounds like, in the past. We had raised not just this specific issue, but we had proposed a solution to it. And what they said, one of the things that, that um, yeah, if you're going to change minds, you got to not only have your best argument, you got to understand what their best argument is. And so... Travis, who used to work at CMS, knew immediately what the concerns were going to be about fix about fixing this, about, as you said, taking RACO's population out of the region. And the issue was going to be complexity of operationalizing this, right? How do you create, instead of a, 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 a cost for every region, for every ACO in every e region, now you have to calculate costs and take out them versus the rest of the region and the complexity of that. So we'd actually thought of a solution that would massively simplify that, and it's called 
algebra where, where you just calculate the percent share and then you plus up uh, the, the the true impact of it based on, on math instead of trying to uh, calculate on a, 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 a cost table for every for every county. So that's another you know uh, lesson for don't just go in there and say I want this. Make sure that you're ask what you're asking for is reasonable, and then make sure that you understand you see the world through the policymaker and the regulator's eyes, and what are the problems they're going to have implementing it, and then address that with the with the solution uh, as well. The idea was to spread the word as far as possible. So except for two meetings, um, we basically everybody went to the wind, um, hitting up their their own uh, individual uh, congressmen's offices, um, senators' offices, and I don't know if, maybe if you each want to share kind of you know in those visits, what was your most kind of memorable um, interaction you had uh, up on Capitol Hill? I guess, um, Dr. Carr here, again, I'll go first. Um, I guess my most memorable one was probably with um, my Congressman uh, Griffith from my district. Um, very supportive of the things that we talked about. Now, he was not as familiar with ACOs from the get-go, so we got to spend some time, and he's probably sat with us for about 25 minutes total. Um, and we explained what an ACO did, why it benefits the community that we're in. Um, and so I was familiar with even the doctor's offices he uses. He happens to use some independent practices as a whole. So he was in favor of trying to keep practices independent. And how Allidade keeps primary care doctors independent, which is kind of like the building blocks to maybe eventually you get other specialists eventually more independent again. That's also lower prices. Because um, as we know, hospital systems, as they have consolidated over the past 20, 25 years, costs did not go down, as was our initial hope and dream of that. Um, prices instead went up, and we're trying to turn that tide because that's how we save Medicare, this money we're looking to save. It's how we move forward, cover more people, provide more benefits um, with an ever-shrinking budget. And actually, Dr. Schwabi had a, a, a great anecdote about that when, uh, when we were speaking with the CMS folks. So the, uh, when we were going through the course of the day, I relayed a scenario that occurred to us recently of a gastroenterology practice that was five members, uh, very well functioning, very well thought of in the community, uh, was one of the tier one practices in with all the payers in the region. And they ran into problems. Tragically, they lost one physician to illness and another physician left. The two remaining shareholders uh, sold the practice to a, a, the local uh, hospital system. When that happened, the hospital system then slapped on for colonoscopies, for instance, a $1,400 extra fee. Um, that really caused a lot of problems for my patients who suddenly went from having a $200 copay to sometimes seven or $800 copay. And I even got calls saying, I'm not going to get the study. Um, because I'm an independent physician, I could look at the landscape and identify other practices, gastroenterology practices that are doing this work at the lower cost without the extra burden of the hospital uh, addition of cost. Uh, and we were able to direct our patients to get those studies done. That's a right. That's a perfect story. <laughs> if you're a, if 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 you're someone who's a uh, policymaker and you're seeing consolidation drive up costs, 
you want to like that will be a go-to story for that person who can now talk about it in concrete uh, concrete terms. Uh, Dr. Shrabi, what was your highlight from for, from from your visits with the uh, on the legislative side? So we met with the uh, legislative assistant for uh, House Representative uh, Mary Gay Scanlon, and he did not know what an ACO was. <laughs> <laughs> so we were able to have a nice discussion and inform him of about how we operate um, and some of the things we do. An interesting part of the conversation was uh, after we, we gave an example of keeping people out of the emergency room and if a patient calls with chest pain and we know the patient will, and we think it's appropriate to bring them over to the office, we would do that. And <clears throat> he came back with, well, are you ever denying care, basically, or are you hurting mm -hmm. the patient by not sending them to the ER? And I said, that's what's, what being a doctor is, is making that decision about when it's appropriate to bring them to the office and appropriate care in that setting versus when they should be sent to the ER. Um, yeah, that's great. I mean, again, we could talk about how there's no evidence that there's in fact ACOs deliver higher quality care and the quality measures and the way the program is structured and blah 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 right and if actually someone has suffers harm then it's going to you know cause you more costs and so is that right we could say all of that but in their head and and they're right right as legislators people thinking about how this is going to impact the public they are right to think about is this going to be another managed care redux where the citizenry rebels against this and feels like they're getting less, right? And there's nothing like your being able to say, that's what health, that's what being a doctor is, mm -hmm. right? Is, is that's, what, that's what I've spent 30 years doing, is right. figuring out what's the best care for this patient because my first priority is my patient, right? Uh, and that's a message that, that you can uniquely deliver. I think, you know, we talk about, you know, inside policy making a couple times during podcasts, and I think the, the contrast you've seen here is, is the perfect example of how policy is a, is a it's not just intellect, winning intellectual arguments with experts, it's really a combination of having a well thought out argument, a tested argument, something that holds up to scrutiny combined with awareness, right? Yeah. So to me, it was just as important that one more ledge aid knows what an ACO and will always now know what an ACO is and remember your face on an ACO as it was to, you know, kind of go round two, if you will, um, at CMS after the comment period about the actuarial soundness of <laughs> what happens if you move too many beneficiaries from the region as the regional benchmarks are right. right? So like, it, this spectrum of it is just so important and why our you know, kind of day yesterday, it was a you know, 12 hours, very, very day, I'm sure you both felt it, of like, you know, some of the, you know, very varied, um, but each one of the those things kind of has a piece in coming together to create um, an environment where there's enough awareness about a good policy issue that something happens. So I think what one of the, let's just run through some of the things that we've talked about about how how policy uh, gets made. First, 
don't just criticize, also praise, right? We talked about that. Uh, be specific, know what you're asking for, know why you're asking for it, and make sure that uh, it doesn't just help you, that it actually helps improve the program line and aligns with the principles uh, that, that the policymakers have. But I think if there's one thing I wanna leave the audience with, it's the belief that people who are in the government, it's not a, a nameless, faceless, um, uh, resistant, or even, you know, I think in, at, at our worst cynicism, we think corrupt institution. It's really not. It's a group of human beings, whether it's you're talking about, it doesn't matter, R's, D's, whatever, uh, senators, congresspeople, um, it, it, they're all trying to do the right thing for America. And these are complicated decisions. These are complicated issues. Um, but fundamentally, I believe in this process. I believe in bringing the best thinking and the best perspectives. And, and it doesn't, doesn't happen quickly, and it doesn't always happen in a straight line, um, but the system works.